This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest-growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is still Matteo Rizzi. I'm still the executive producer of the show. This is show number 75. And the format today is fintech journeys around the world. And our focus today is on startup nation, Israel. I am with two old friends and one new friend, Maya Moise and Avi. And as usual, I'll let them a couple of minutes through introduce themselves and talk us a little bit about what's going on in this uh, magic uh, startup land. Uh, Maya, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe for the very first time. Yes. Hello, Matteo. I'm Maya. <laughs> Maya Zahavi. I've been in uh, fintech, I think, for most of my career. I started out uh, doing IT for an Israeli bank, the biggest one, Bank Lumi. It's some private equity. And I've been full-time in crypto and blockchain since 2014, based out of Tel Aviv. Yeah, I know. One of the crypto pioneers. I know that. That's why you're here. Moise, welcome to the show for the first time, maybe, but you and I have been in so many panels, I can't count them anymore. Yeah. Uh, hello, Mateo. Hello from Tel Aviv. Uh, my name is Moises Cohen. I'm the co-founder and chief banking officer of The Floor, one of the leading fintech companies coming from Israel. I was born and raised in Madrid, but I moved to Israel 20 years ago. So I'm a Spaniard living in Israel, married to a Belgian, but I still always remain a Real Madrid fan. Uh, computer science engineer with a long experience, both in business and technology consulting coming from Accenture. Uh, in fact, I have always been at the intersection of business and technology. And then uh, five years ago, I had my 40 years old crisis. I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It's now or never. And then together with my co-founders, Avi and Gil, uh, we launched The Floor. We started as trusted consultants for tier one banks for many years. And most recently this year, we leveraged these assets to launch a SaaS platform that is helping financial institutions to discover and optimize their technology stack. Thank you, Moise. Uh, Avi, welcome to the show as well. Yeah. Hi, Matteo. It's great to be here. And hi, Maya and Moise. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so... My name is Avernon, and I'm a venture investor at CD Ventures. I think I represent the corporate side of, of this discussion. Uh, and the way to think maybe about us is that we're a corporate venture arm. We're investing in companies that are category-defining and are helping City uh, partner with City and improve the products that we bring to market, but also help us improve the infrastructure that, that we have in order to bring our products better. So we're investing in companies that you would think that the bank like City would be interested in, including payment, commerce, financial infrastructure, but also in areas that are more enterprise software, including cyber, data analytics, marketing, and customer engagement. 
And being a strategic investor, one of the things that, they, that we take pride of is the fact that two-thirds of our portfolio have a commercial relationship with city. In the end, this is the goal of our, of our engagement, both of the company and, and from a city perspective. And in addition to being a venture investor in city, we have a unique program, which is a, a business accelerator, with the goal is working with companies. I think it's a it's around four months program of finding the right stakeholders in city, engaging with them and trying to promote the commercialization or a POC, basically bringing cell innovation in. So I have the aspects of both investing and having a close partnership with the company, but also meaning a lot of companies, introducing them to the right stakeholders and, and try to move the wheels of innovation in a large enterprise such as city. Thank you, Avi. So I, I, I actually I was thinking while Avi you were talking that uh, we are, we do have technically three different type of pioneers here, or representing three type of pioneers organization, because the floor is like uh, you know more or less or shortly after like eleven thirty nine, one of the first, uh, so, and and the story sort of evolved differently, but really a huge ecosystem player. Uh, Maya was talking about stuff that, uh, you know, the, I want to say DLT stuff that people was, you know, is now talking as if it was uh, like at the common ground. But uh, like five years ago, she was already super deep into into this. And I'm a, like a living witness of uh, of that. And and Navi like represents, uh, you know, Vanessa is, uh, you know, one of the oldest fintech uh, friends in the in the space. Uh, uh, City Ventures is probably the 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 only uh, like investment vehicle dedicated to startups, uh, properly working, associated to a financial institution that was there before fintech even, was even born, or or more or less born at the same time. I actually, don't remember how old the City Ventures, but if you say that fintech is a bit longer than a decade, uh, it was already there when it all uh, when it all started. Uh, so the first, uh, I want to say, topic of, of discussion, and remember, this is a radio show not, or a podcast show, not, uh, not a panel. So you're totally allowed to talk over each other, interrupt me, whatever, is I want to talk about the vibes. You know? So I've, I've been in Israel a couple of times in different phases of, uh, of my life, including over 25 years ago when my former boss before Swift uh, had uh, a small incubator in Ashdod. And back then, people were talking about Israel as startup nation, you know, 25 years ago. And uh, since then, since then, like things only like grew like bigger. And uh, you you really breathe a different uh, like different type of uh, startup air when you when you're there. And you know, why is that? I, I don't know the numbers. If some of you knows them, he or she can show off and tell you know, how big is the space. I have no idea. But what I do know is that is uh, uh, only comparable to, to, to Silicon Valley. So let's you know, try to transmit to convey this, uh, this vibe of the, of the ecosystem from, you know, to someone who has never been to, to Israel. Who wants to give it a shot? Um, first of all, I think it's there's a difference between startup nation and fintech. I like I think that we might be able to debate that. But in terms of startup nation, it really is the entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit that built the country about, and you see that a lot of times when you talk to corporates or you meet American or even European entrepreneurs, Israelis, you tell them no and they go, why not? 
like explain why not and we'll get around the obstacle. And that's really ingrained in the culture, sometimes to our detriment, see COVID and people, you know, very um, lax in uh, in how we, I think, um, confronted the pandemic. But you see that in the military and a lot of the, the technology that Startup Nation um, built into real companies and start, started out from the military establishment. And first of all, um, service in the military is uh, compulsory. And you can For see- For everyone, that, right? Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can see that uh, different tech verticals really did start in about three uh, basic units, um, 8,200, 81, and sometimes in the industrial complex, which is um, defense military contracts. Um, I I served in 8,200, and I can really look back, say, I'm, I'm too old, it's like 20 years later, and there are some projects that we started working on that right now are um, tech-defining sectors and verticals, which is insane to think about it because at the time it was really cutting edge and people were saying this is impossible in sci-fi. Actually, let's let's continue this uh, sort of nuances and get a little bit closer so to the to the fintech ecosystem. Moises, you know, tell us your point of view. So I think the um, no the the starting point of Israel as a country was not very promising. Okay, it's, it's a very small country with a population of nine million people. No natural resources, more than 50% of the land is desert, no commercial ties with neighboring countries. But today, as you said, Israel today is known as the, the startup nation. And we have one of the most vibrant ecosystems in the world. Since we are very small, we per capita, we are always number one in everything, okay? In number of engineers, in PhDs, in patents, etc. But even in absolute numbers, we have you know the largest number of AI startups in the world together with the the US uh, and, and China. And today, Israeli cyber investments represents around 30% of the global investments in, in cybersecurity. Um, so I think there are multiple reasons for that. Uh, Maya already mentioned some of them, like the mi mandatory military service, that by the way, 95 or 99% of the entrepreneurs in Israel are coming from these elite units of the Israeli army. Uh, I think I have a theory that there are, there's some kind of relationship between oranges and innovation. You know, Israel started 40, 50 years ago exporting oranges, and then we evolved to being a startup nation. Also in California, you know, California was always known by being the orange county, and then they also evolved to the Silicon Valley. So it should be, I have a theory that there should be some kind of relationship between oranges and, and innovation. But I think it's also it's part, of the, part of the Israeli culture, okay? In Israel, the failure is good, not like in other countries that I know, for instance, in, in Spain, that, you know, people are ashamed of failing. Or having failures, people are not risk adverse because you are living in an environment that by definition is risky. Okay, so being an entrepreneur is maybe not the most risky thing you can do in your life. Uh, and always, since Israel is a very small market, so people always think global from day one. Okay, so they're not focusing on the Israeli market, they always think how to explore their solutions at a global, at a global level. Uh, before Avi, before you kick in, why you're mentioning Chica? Because I'm actually so excited. Uh... Uh, Maya, that maybe Sicily might be the next uh, startup region because that's where oranges are like thriving and nobody has thought about it. But why you said chicken? Because factually, it's true. My grandmother actually came in 1932 to to pick oranges here in Israel. 
um, from Europe. But uh, chickens was actually the first major tech export from Israel. The different technologies of raising chickens, feeding them in scale, and so forth. So despite the oranges making us famous, the, the first tech export was actually uh, poultry. Wow. Okay. Great. Avi, you know, now we are literally into like uh, getting <sighs> into the Pinker team. Perfect segue for the next, uh, for the next topic. But uh, told us a little, I mean, tell, uh, um, tell us a little bit more about this uh, or, or, or your, your view into this uh, vibe that we were talking about. Yeah, so I think you both had a very good point that I want to touch on. About the, the military service, I totally agree about the technological capabilities, but I would add something else that is it's, it's quite noticeable when you look at founders from different geographies. We're a global investment firm. I'm looking at a company in the US, Europe, and of course in Israel. And my sense is that the, these young people are exposed to challenges at a very early age and they got this, get the sense of ability and they said that I, I've sold like much complex things, I couldn't solve that. Even if it's not about the technology, this is why when they hear not, no, they saying, okay, let's try the other door. What if we do it the other way? And, and sometimes again, this percent persistency doesn't work very well with large corporate, but definitely at an early stage where you want to open doors and you want to basically learn more about the problem and not the solution. I think this is one of the key aspects and an Israeli entrepreneur approach that basically distinguish them from, I want to say, from other ecosystems. And, and the second thing in combining the, this ability of asking a lot of questions is the fact that this is a very open eco ecosystem. You can reach out to almost any entrepreneur if it's in your space and, and, and you have like a good understanding of what you're doing, you will get a meeting. And if the meeting went well, you will get an introduction to your first customers, first investors. So the number of connections you need to go to find your first customer, first investor, and, and you can see a concentration of domain knowledge around specific area, and this is expanding now that we're going to fintech. And Moses mentioned like the cybersecurity space. And here in, in Israel, opening a cybersecurity startup, it's a great thing because you can find your first product manager, your first marketing manager at the specific domain who developed this solution, both at an enterprise, both at in startups, and they understand the mentality and they understand what they need to know so you can get this knowledge and direction relatively fast. And then when Entrepreneurs are constantly looking for the next thing. So they're taking the knowledge base that the ecosystem has built and they're thinking of how can we take the technology and explore that further. And this is what I've been seeing in the past, I want to say five, between five and 10 years, that basically the ecosystem expanding from being more, let's say, focused on core deep technology that is coming from the army, even exploring to customer facing application, which is usually not another main area because in the end, Israel is not the go-to market for, for most of the startups. Thank you, Avi. So we are a, we are a FinTech podcast, uh, you know, after all. So let's, let's get into this. And, uh, you know, uh, the first consideration is that uh, most, if not all solutions in Israel are not done for the local market. I mean, for local market. I mean they are, but uh, the dimension and, and, and the reach is like typically not great, you know, to, to scale uh, to scale the solution. So my instinct, uh, not knowing very well uh, the, the, the ecosystem overall, is that uh, most of the solutions that uh, the fintech solutions that are conceived in a country are more into I want to say either transversal or technical stuff, but uh, not a lot about uh, like uh, regulatory or anything that uh, 
has then to be adapted uh, in uh, in other countries. So, so my instinct would be, okay, cybersecurity, okay, deep tech, uh, okay, cloud, uh, okay, like uh, um, uh, cybersecurity and so forth. But you know, any large and, and or like a generic platform and infrastructure, such the eToros of the of this world, but. Uh, what are the main, uh, considering that sort of uh, uh, exporting vision, you know, of the solution? What are the the, the main areas where where fintech is uh, is thriving? Uh, Maya, you you are the one who gave the shorter answer before, so you get you get you get the floor now. Oh, I'm um, I think it's important to note that Israel, regulatory wise, is very conservative. So there is no fintech here because there's no regulatory framework for people to work, to build for Israel. So even in terms of having consumer facing or client facing product, you can never launch it in Israel. We don't have an open banking legislation yet. We don't really have a sandbox. Um, there only recently has a new company emerged with a new uh, banking license, the first in over forty years. There's basically three banks. And they call their own fintech solution challenger banks, despite being owned by the banks. So when Israeli, Israelis build for fintech, they build for other people, B2B or infrastructure for other people to build and, and have a technology or platform to facilitate other fintechs, I think, in, in essence. Um, and we see that, especially when we're talking about um, cyber solution, AI for different chatbots. And uh, payment solution now, sometimes um, I've seen more and more uh, SaaS-based solutions for supply chains coming, emerging as a new vertical um, and so forth. You know that my, uh, you know, right, Maya, that sooner or later, I'm going to put you on the spot to talk about one of my latest papers topics, which is decentralized finance. And because I deeply believe if there is one nation that can pull it off, like a global solution, is actually you guys. And you know, that's, that whenever you want, you can actually take out, you know, take the guns hey, out so and start me, shooting. Let me surprise you. So if, I think uh, crypto or blockchain is an amazing example of how Israel is really big in the fintech sector, but we still lack fintech because, for example despite having, I think, three very amazing companies in crypto. And I put Starkware there that developed Starks, which is a privacy solution, um, Curve and Fireblocks, which create custody. None of them are really DeFi. There is no real Israeli DeFi project or company here in Israel, just like there aren't any real um, crypto-based uh, projects here. What we do have is more like auxiliary um, supporting technology, privacy, because Israelis are really big. Yeah. I think Avi or Moises mentioned the PhDs. So we are really at the forefront of cryptography. And hence, you see a lot of new privacy-enabling technologies. You see, because of the understanding of, of cyber infrastructure and how to build foreign financial institutions, we see a lot of Israeli-based crypto custody solutions. But there's no DeFi in Israel, which, again, goes back I to the fintech, but not fintech. Yeah, I actually, I, I misexpressed myself. I just was talking about the DeFi tech that could empower DeFi, DeFi project. But let's, uh, let's put like maybe take the subject back, uh, back later. Moises and Avi, you are like a nurturing and investing uh, in, uh, in fintech startup. What's your, what's your view on, on this? Moises, you want to start? Yeah, so I would say that one of the key differentiators of the fintech ecosystem in Israel is that we are mainly a B2P play. 
okay, compared to compared to other markets that are also have a very strong B2C focus, initially is a B2B play. And as you mentioned before, of course, we are very strong in cybersecurity and more, I would say, infrastructure or technology capabilities. But actually, there are a lot of Israeli companies already today who are addressing core financial challenges. And actually, regulation and regtech is today one of the hottest topics in Israel. And we have many, many uh, companies in the regulatory uh, space who are actually doing very well with tier one banks at the global space. But also, not only you know, regulation, but also capital markets uh, in insurance, property, and casualty as well. Uh, with the, you know, the examples of you know, Lemonade or Next Insurance who are becoming now very, very popular. So I think uh, we have been evolving from being at the beginning of the decade, a decade ago on cybersecurity focus, from cybersecurity evolving to anti-fraud, and then from anti-fraud jumping to more core you know, financial propositions like regulation, capital markets, payments, and, and others. Uh, and I would say that the key peculiarity of the Israeli fintech ecosystem is that uh, Although we always talk about, you know, the eligionists of the Israeli army and the young entrepreneurs, etc., people are surprised to know that uh, if you take the the best companies in Israel, the, the ones who raise more than 100 million dollars, uh, you will be surprised to know that the average age of the founders at launch was 41 years old, and you know, 75% of them are already serial entrepreneurs, so they are second timers, and most of them already also coming from a finance, financial background, not only technology background, from from Israeli uh, units. So I think the, the perspective of the role of the image of the founders uh, of Israeli fintech uh, ecosystems is a little bit different from other, from other sectors in, in Israel. Ivy, you're still clearly below the, I think, uh, of the, the age to raise your $100 million startup. What's your take on this? I don't, I don't want to disappoint you, but I think I'm closer than you think. Am I imagining the times from, from the army? And I think I'm, I'm close to that. But I'm Moises, I think this, this is a, a great point about, the, about basically the expansion from core ecosystem uh, focus to, to something that is very broader. I think in the past years, we have seen a great momentum with Five Lemonade, Next Insurance, and even Melio, a company that I think one of the fastest growing fintech solutions. And, and, and you see that with serial entrepreneurs that are bringing product experience with this is usually what, what builds great companies on the consumer side. Right, so the the combination in Israel of having multinational organizations where you can work with, engage with the best products, and this includes both I want to say later startups, but also more traditional companies. When when you basically understand very closely the customer needs, this allows you together with the tech expertise to venture out to to very successful customer facing uh, products, and and I think this will like expand even further as I think the amount of opportunities there are, are so large. Uh, and on the B2B side, I think that COVID was a great experience for, for Israeli founders because it basically, it flattened the world. You don't need to take the customers to go playing golf. You need to compete on product and tech. And these are the two things that Israeli entrepreneurs are very good at. So uh, I know that we entered COVID with the feeling that, oh my God, um, I know that it's probably the, the demand for solution and it's going to be hard without flying and meeting the customers. But I think the experience was basically totally different for, for Israeli entrepreneurs that can compete on the same playing field together with the with the US-based startup as US being the main focus market. Thank you, Avi. I actually think that that's the perfect moment. Uh, you, you, you start to you know, touch base on some of the uh, second part of the show questions. So that's a great moment to call 
for a break. Stay with us. We're going to talk more in the second part of the show. Thank you. And it's a wrap. At timepledge.org, we are building the largest free coaching and advisory platform for entrepreneurs by providing mentorship opportunities based on pledge time. Our network of seasoned industry experts acting as coaches is working for free, pledging their valued time to the next generation of entrepreneurs who will change everything. Our portfolio of sessions goes over every skill an entrepreneur needs to successfully launch his or her startup, from how to pitch and behave with investors to how to best market your idea online or even how to best manage your team. We have the perfect sessions with the perfect mentors. Want to learn how to become the best entrepreneur you can be or mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs in Africa and Asia? Please visit timepledge.com org and let's get you started hey guys welcome back to the show 75 fintech journeys across the world we're still with our uh, three amazing representatives of uh, the israeli ecosystem and uh, avi um, closed the sort of the first uh, part of the show uh, talking about the sort of challenges that uh, COVID brought. And it was almost a, a, an enabler to make uh, uh, startups, uh, if not more resilient, uh, almost anti-fragile. You know, some of the startups actually thrived after, after that. But the topic I want to open the second part of the show with is actually talent. Because uh, it, if you... If you guys have uh, like uh, the the highest average of uh, PhDs and uh, like engineers uh, pro capita, you know, but so many startups and projects to 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 work on. I I wonder if the dynamics are the same in Silicon Valley, where startups uh, or like uh, uh, corporations, you know, have to pay super expensive uh, the 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 greatest talent uh, and. Uh, it being the territory sort of much smaller is that is that an issue or or not uh, maya in the break you were you were uh, you know you you have like a, some notion from from the field why don't you share it with the rest of the of the crowd yeah um i think we have to understand what our strengths are in the israeli ecosystem and that's really research tech product management and so forth so in those fields, um, Israel is competitive, but it also depends in what exactly, um, in what fields specifically, in what topics. Um, I don't think the salaries here are comparable um, to the Valley, especially not in the entry level. Um, but then when you get into very hardcore PhD research areas or in corporate America in Israel, as I call it, then yes, uh, the salaries are, are high. Um, but then you have to remember that people here pay almost 50% income tax. And um, we see that the advantage of having um, development R&D here has started beginning to kind of recede. And more and more, especially early stage startups, are actually building or outsourcing to Eastern Europe a lot of the, the tech and the, and the build. On the other side, I think in marketing, in sales and regulations, we don't really have in-house talent. And so you see that a lot of the more prominent um, Israeli fintech uh, startups and, and cyber as well have bases in, in the Frisco area in London and in New York. 
and getting that talent there is uh, is not easy, especially recruiting wise. Avi, you you are you work for a part of a bank where it's not really difficult to like retain the talent because you're kind of the coolest kid, right? Usually, but uh, uh, you know what's what's your view on this? And and talk a little bit about talent retention as well. You know the, the typical aspect of it in in uh, in Israel. Yeah, I want to thank to thank you about the compliment. But CD has five innovation labs. One of them in Israel, we're employing more than 250 engineers that are doing internal innovation for CD. And I have to say, this is one of the top priorities that the lab has because, as Maya mentioned, acquiring talent and great talent is 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 very challenging these days because they want to work with the coolest, best startup, which usually also have the money to pay. Uh, we see, as an investor, we see a lot of companies, most of the ones in Israel who raised over $100 million. And this is one of the key criteria that they have. Raise talent, uh, build product to, to reach the next milestone that they need to do in order to raise the next round because a, round, a significant round brings significant expectations. And, and as I mentioned, this is part of the reason why companies have, are basically outsourcing developing capabilities uh, to, to Eastern Europe. And I think this is a very cost-effective method, but it's not, not working for everyone. And we even see companies that are taking non-conservative measures. I know one company to mention is Rapid that basically put her employees on a billboard, physical billboard uh, across Tel Aviv in order to attract employees. As the as the fight for basically for talent is that rough. Moises, so I would say that someone who is not trying to recruit a lot of people because we are growing very fast. Uh, I think yeah. that there's indeed a, a fight for talent in Israel. First of all, because Israelis, as a cultural thing, they always want to be entrepreneurs. They want they want to, they don't want to work for companies. So at the end of the day, they're going to be with you, but maybe for two or three years until they have an idea of of building their their own company. I think that the salaries for top experts and top-notch guys, they are already becoming very, very, very high. Not, again, the same level as Silicon Valley, but by far doubling the salaries in Europe. Uh, there's a big trend of, as uh, Avi and Maya said, of outsourcing uh, you know, services to Eastern Europe, maybe to Ukraine and to Poland. So there are a lot of Israeli companies already are helping you to recruit people in Kiev, in Varsha, in Sofia, in other, in other countries, and today, Based on my experience talking with many, many fintech entrepreneurs, I would say that 30 to 40% of the R&D headcount of Israeli startups is already outsourced to Eastern Europe. Still, you keep the key people here, the CTO, et cetera, but all the commodity development, et cetera, you always outsource it to Eastern Europe because it's maybe one third of the price of Israeli uh, developers. So there is indeed a big fight for, uh, for talent. I thought that with the COVID situation, you know, there would be a lot of people looking for a job but actually last year was maybe the best year ever for the Israeli ITEC. So actually it's also very difficult to find the, the, right, uh, the right talent. And it takes a lot of time if you, want to, if you want to recruit people. But of course, the talent you have in Israel is, is huge. I would say that today the, um, the typical you know, composition of an Israeli startup will be, you have the commodity R&D in Eastern Europe, you have the, you know, the founders and the key people like the CTO, et cetera, in Israel. From a sales and marketing perspective, I agree with Maya that you know this is not the key expertise of Israel. So typically, sales and marketing and business development are people coming from abroad or people from abroad who you know to move to Israel from the UK, from the US, uh, especially. So this would be the typical composition of uh, of Israeli startup today. 
Yeah, I just wanted to point out that um, Moises mentioned that the COVID year was really good for Israeli tech. So one thing that we have to keep in mind is that most of Israeli tech is about cyber, cyber solution, remote solution, fraud analysis. And I think there are two main trends that COVID brought forth. One was work from home and the second was um, digitization of the entire back office and in, in, in finance or in the entire um, um infrastructure for corporations, which meant that their demand specifically for the kind of solutions that Israeli tech builds, if it's for, uh, for, for cyber, if it's for identity verification, if it's for fraud analysis, that made uh, Israeli companies have their best year ever in terms of sales and development. So we didn't see um, a lot of startups close and on the, on the contrary, we saw them raising more and more money than they ever have. And existing company startups actually expanding and closing bigger and bigger rounds. We have a saying, uh, say that I heard a couple of times in the cyberspace, is that in the end, everything leads to, to increase demand in cyber. You have a good year in growth, uh, there is a demand for cyber. You have a pandemic, there is a demand for cyber. Every basically change in the market that requires new solutions, new infrastructure, require an adjustment from a cybersecurity perspective. So it's great to see how a big shift in product just bigs, uh, just brings a, a, even a bigger shift in the way that, uh, that we're investing or implementing security solutions. I, yeah, I, I didn't know what, go ahead. I'm saying there's never been a year that had such hyper digitization and transformation yeah. as panned out. I mean, that's true in terms of trend and rate of growth, but then you have the spike. So I think um, the COVID year kind of outperformed the industry no matter in, and in a way that's non-comparable to the yeah. past. Uh, definitely, just looking internally, the amount of requests that we're receiving from internal teams in city to, to find digital solutions that will help us digitization, all our processes with our customers is just uh, overwhelming. So I was actually undecided whether or not uh, I should like uh, keep the, co the conversation, you know, about COVID and its consequences uh, or if, you know, go to the next topic, but you just uh, gave me the perfect segue to actually combine the two subjects together. And uh, so uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, how or from where do you see the next uh, unicorn coming? And the reason is that, uh, you know, eToro was my, I believe my investment number two in 2013, you know, back into the venture capital day. Uh, I think it was Series C back then. Uh, so Yoni, Yoni has been like, a, the, I've been following for almost like eight years and now he's, a, you know, I don't, I'm not, it's certainly one of the poster child. I have not, I'm not sure if they are the biggest valued fintech of Israel. I have no idea, but certainly among uh, like the, the, the biggest, right? For sure. And uh, like not in cyber. You know, not in infrastructure, in in like in wealth management for like which is you know pretty much outside of the usual scheme. So we we, we were just saying that uh, you know cyber is the big uh, sort of horse everyone is betting into, but uh, you know the 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 latest multi uh, unicorn is not from cyber. So where where will it come from? You know, anyone wants to like uh, give a shot. I think Starkware, uh, which is a company started by two professors from the Technion dealing with privacy solutions, 
It just raised $100 million in, uh, in a, recently in a series. I think that's going to be huge because they're really empowering the next improvement of scaling for the Ethereum infrastructure. Um, oh, by is- the way, Maya, sorry, sorry if I interrupt you. I wasn't like hoping to get names of startups, especially oh. because for, for, Avi, for Avi, it would be a bit tricky, you know? I would be uh, good no enough. No problem for me. <laughs> yeah. We have a large it, it portfolio. Would be good, <laughs> yeah, it would be good enough if we talk about from which field <laughs> slash vertical would, would come. But I totally take your, you know, your independence. So you can say whatever you want, right? That's I'm not an theory. investor. Let's put it that way. I wish I Exactly. Um, exactly. I, so I think privacy technologies, uh, custody solutions, as we see more and more fintech rely on digital assets and cryptography. Um, and I would also say that we might see some uh, um, open banking solutions come with the tech that comes out of Israel, but people building on it would be probably in uh, Europe or the U.S. Okay, Avi, or no, 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 Moises, Moises, because you, they, whatever. Yeah, so I would say, first of all, in cybersecurity, for sure, cloud security is going to be the hottest topic that we're going to see in the coming year. We see it already last year with COVID, and, and cloud security is, is the hottest topic. And you see a lot of examples already of Israeli companies who became unicorns in less than a year uh, in, this, in this space. In the banking sector, I would say that in the last decade, the banks were mainly focused on the customer facing and distribution channels. So the focus were maybe, was mainly around digitalizing the front, but the back office of uh, financial institutions did not undergo the same level of digital transformation. So I think the next big thing in FinTech will come from companies who are trying to transform the banks and back office. Of course, it's not as sexy as other you know, themes in FinTech, but I think if someone is going to help the banks to orchestrate all the different processes and manual processes and you know complex ecosystem they build uh, over year or a year again, I think this is where we can find the next big thing in in fintech. And actually, to find companies that are going to bring a billion dollar impact to financial institutions, but we still didn't see many financial or many fintech companies who brought like a billion dollar impact in the bottom line for for financial institutions in terms of cost savings or, or revenue increase. We're going to, keep, we're going to talk uh, uh, about that in a minute, uh, about the, like the, the I want to say the bottom billions and the financial inclusion yes. and, uh, and like specific solutions to that, to that space. Avi, and I, and I know that whatever you say is not going to be an investment advice uh, nor a city policy. I'll do a disclaimer for you, don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, this is only my own opinion, but uh, but definitely it's it's interesting to talk about the unicorn. Uh, after a year that we saw companies became unicorn almost after less than a year in two rounds, and one of the reasons is that just as as Moises mentioned, the the cloud security, which was a crazy year for these companies, because I think both companies and investors understood just the huge potential that there is in this space. And this is true for a lot of the technology. And I want to say that the growth that we see in the markets and valuation now, and, and it's partly because we understand that technology is such a big component of, of the economy in the next 20 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking both about, about the unicorn, but also a company that will make a significant impact on the market. And the framework that I'm thinking of and this is even generally not about fintech specifically in consumer facing product once you see a company implements financial services such as payments 
such as payments, lending, it means that they have figured out the customer acquisition, means that they know how things are working and now they are starting, uh, they're moving away from focus on the specific consumer onboarding him to basically expanding their platform offering. So once you see a company which start to offer payments, keep your eyes out because they're doing something very good. And, and in this aspect, we have today a rising companies in, in the space that it calls banking as a service or even payment as a service that are building the infrastructure to allow these customer-facing companies basically connect all this component through API. So now they don't need to develop their risk modeling and then payment trails and everything. They're just connecting through one API, working on the product side, which they know how to do the best. And this is how they are increasing their lifetime value of the customers. And, they, and, and this is like a... Uh, a great flying wheel where they have more monetization per customer, they can invest better in product and become the winner of this market. So companies now are implementing financial services faster and increasing their growth rate uh, just by offering better products. So definitely keep an eye on that. Cool. So um, can we talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, so by the way, the this is a new uh, news for the three of you about uh, what I've been doing the past couple of years when we haven't caught up. Uh, I'm now working with Bamboo Capital Partners. We're investing in Africa. is a seed and C to Series B. Uh, like a cross tech is a tech for good uh, impact fund. And in our deal flow, we see a lot of uh, Israeli-based uh, companies uh, or like uh, uh, actually Israeli people, uh, you know, migrated to Africa to work on financial inclusion offers, okay? And whether it is uh, into the like uh, uh, lending they, and, and of course, most of these solutions are leveraging, uh, uh, you know, AI and deep tech, okay? So AI applied to credit, to uh, profiling, uh, to like uh, uh, smart lending so is is this like a coincidence is just like me that that like keeps hitting into this uh, into this company or is because uh, you know there is a, a a willingness or or a trend or uh, a, like a, do you do you see this as a, yeah i want to say a wave of entrepreneurs tackling uh, financial inclusion who wants to give it a shot i'll try um, I, because I've seen that deal flow, especially in crypto and in, in different people building on crypto for financial inclusion. So I think it's a part of a global trend where it's uh, banking the unbanked has kind of taken off with real products. Um, and you see Israelis uh, attracted to that market for two reasons. I mean, I think we, we kind of made it clear throughout this conversation that there, is, there aren't a lot of Israeli startups building consumer-facing fintech. And most of it is because we can't build for the Israeli market and exporting it to other regulatory environments is difficult, if not impossible, and very remote kind of control for a product like, uh, like a financial one. Whereas Africa is pretty close. There's always been Israelis doing business uh, in Africa. So there's already an ecosystem that, of Israelis that can create that support system. And uh, it's close by and we have an easier time understanding uh, the regulatory needs and requirements for those clients. Interesting. Uh, actually, if, uh, uh, you know, whilst, uh, the, you know, Avi and Moises think how to chip in, uh, uh, because we only have, uh, I believe, uh, less than five minutes left. Uh, so... Uh, Avi, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about, you know, how easy it is for uh, 
startups to interact with incumbents and, and like in the fintech case in financial institutions or with corporates in general in Israel because everything is super straightforward. I actually wonder, you know, in such a small ecosystem in fintech, there are like three local banks. Everyone else is, you know, has a, has a branch, but more for innovation than for actually Israeli business. I I wonder how is this incumbent startups relationship as well, and you can be as controversial as as you want. So you now have a choice, Avian Moises. Either you you know chip in into the financial inclusion, but also give a bit of context into this sort of incumbent startups relationship. Yeah, I just uh, want to say that it's not fair talking after Maya. She just uh, go over the point very well. And I feel that I'm constantly starting by, by saying, Maya, this is a great point. Maybe I'll add a little bit. So uh, so just uh, adding a little yeah, bit. Yeah, remind discussion. me next time. <laughs> I should revert the order. <laughs> no, no, no problem. No, she's doing that very well. I, I just said that Maya had a great point that thinking about Israel is understanding that for we are a very global on say country meaning that we're very influenced about happening with the US we see US uh, t- TV series and and we I want to say constantly being updated about the politics as the US uh, basically relates to us so we're very aware about discussion about financial inclusion and ESG and this is a discussion that we see happening both in the startup but also in the corporates where, where we are looking for a solution in that space and this part of what drives is really entrepreneur understanding what are the problems in the world because they are constantly being exposed to and are trying to find new markets that they basically work in as again Israel is not the top market because of different regulatory landscape so this uh, on that side yeah. uh, I, say that, uh, I will add that uh, you know israel at the end of the day we are in the intersection of two worlds from one side we have a western way of living but at the end of the day geographically speaking we are in the middle east okay we are close to africa traditionally they're always as maya said always a lot of israelis working in africa financial inclusion being today one of the hottest topics that we see together with dsg in banking not only for africa but also for latin america for uh, southeast asia uh, so there's always also a social aspect in the Israeli entrepreneurship, especially for second-timers and third-timers, that they already sold the first company, and then the second or third company, they want to give something back to society. And there's also this type of social also impact on the, on the entrepreneurship in Israel as well. And you see a lot of Israeli companies who have a lot of a very big social, uh, social impact. And then, of course, financial inclusion is perceived as that as well. I would say that today, ESG also is becoming a very, very hot topic in Israel. Anything related to our environment, to diversity, social responsibility, this is also becoming a very, very hot topic. And we see more and more companies trying to build solutions in this space. I actually want to do a shot. I know, Maya, that you wanted to, 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 to say something, but I want to like, uh, <laughs> I want to build on something that Avi was, uh, was saying. Uh, I'm super happy to be a moderator and not like a, a, a guest in this, in this show. And you know, once I was uh, I was in a panel with uh, Maya and Lida Lida Glitzis, and when you speak third after Maya and Lida, you always say, uh, "I mean, I really think that uh, whatever they said, I I not only I cannot only agree, but whatever I add, it will be more stupid." So you basically try to change the question. That's the only thing left uh, left to do. So I you know I 
I feel you with all my heart. Maya, you were saying that. <laughs> I'll take the tip for the next time. <laughs> I think what you wanted to ask is... I love, I got three men telling me what to ask. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think I'm the one um, within this panel that has had the more entrepreneurial outsider selling or, or interacting with big corporates and banks. And uh, coming from Israel, a lot of time that, that is actually a disadvantage because you're far away. If you're not offering a cyber solution. It's like, why would we want to do business with someone who's 10 hours away and so forth? And there's also, like I think Moises mentioned, a mentality shift because a, not a lot of Israelis know, know banking or finance. We don't have a very vibrant financial market here in the TLV, um, in the uh, stock market. It, there's low liquidity. It's not very interesting. Um, it's not Dubai, let's put it that way. And uh, coming out to Africa or somewhere where being Israeli is actually an advantage is a lot easier. So, um, because the, the decision makers at the end of the day, despite the fact that we're startup nation, they're not in Israel. And the intros come in from Israel. And before COVID, we've always had like a, an air shuttle of people coming in and, and visiting us. But if you want to close a deal, you, you have to talk to the, that person in HQ in New York or in San Francisco or in London, and you don't close it here in Israel. And so that's like this dissonance of startup nation and, and uh, where, the, where, where things are really uh, made. Yeah, and also, one last thing that, uh, you know, there are some recent peace agreements in the region between Israel and different countries in Africa and also in the Middle East. And today, you know, and FinTech is one of the key pillars of these peace agreements with Morocco, with Sudan, but also with the Emirates of Bahrain. And, you know, the, the goal of Israeli entrepreneurs is to become the Silicon Valley, what is called the MENA region, you know, the Middle East and North Africa region. Uh, so Israel wants to become the Silicon Valley of that. So I believe there will be more and more, you know, entrepreneurs looking into Africa and especially North Africa um, in, the, in the coming years. That's actually a great last uh, uh, sort of uh, thought for uh, for this show. The moment has arrived to uh, uh, wrap up. So as uh, our uh, costume, uh, let's spend the last 30 seconds each in where our auditors can find you, like at, uh, whatever, Avi, you have a cohort that the startup can apply to, or, you know, to whatever that is, uh, just, you know, to... Uh, um, Figure out uh, from our auditor side how that can they how they can reach you, Maya. I'm on Twitter, Mayazi at M A Y A Z I. Great, Avi. I think you can find my content details over over the web, um, Avi Arnon at City, and I'll be happy to help you find right stakeholders in City and maybe get an investment. Great, Moises. So you can find me on LinkedIn or also at the floor uh, website. Uh, and actually, we are now growing very fast. So actually, we are also looking for talent outside of Israel as well. We have teams in India, in Hong Kong, in Eastern Europe. So if you are looking to engage with a vibrant fintech, just contact me, please. Great. If breaking banks becomes a vehicle for people to find a job, that will be a, a, a great annex to our mission, guys. Thanks a lot for this show today. I enjoyed a lot, beside the fact that uh, I could circle back with some uh, uh, some of you that uh, um, that has been a while since uh, our last conversation. Thank you very much for being part of uh, Breaking Max Europe, and uh, it's a wrap. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.